Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Let's start with you talking a little bit about your childhood, your adolescence, and what really started your passion for music. I have been a big music fan ever since I was a little kid. My first time on stage, as a matter of fact, was when I was three years old. I sang the books of the Bible on stage at my church. Shortly after that, I got put on a church tour. My family has been in ministry for a long time, and so we had a lot of connection to churches all around the area. Once I did my concert slash performance at my church, man, they just had me go hopping from church to church to church to start singing on stages. And I just caught the bug. I loved being on stage. I loved performing and continued to get more involved in music as I started taking piano lessons when I was in second grade. By fifth grade, though, I had started playing saxophone in our school band and also was playing violin and singing in the choir. So music was quickly then becoming a huge part of my life. And it just took off from there. But I didn't start dancing really until I was 20 years old. But music has just, it's always been this driving force for me. And that's really what I knew that I wanted to do with my life from a dream standpoint when I was in high school. So in high school, you were essentially a quintessential band nerd. <laughs> and now you've turned it into a passion. So where was the transition where you saw that dance was something you could take as a long-term venture? Where did the dancing come into the picture? Definitely was the band geek. I mean, <laughs> I tell this story on stage all the time, but when you get letter jackets for high school or whatever, usually, you know, people, they get a letter jacket and they have all the different chevrons and all the different patches for different things that they lettered in. I was such a band geek that I wanted this letter jacket so bad, but I only had one patch to put on it. <laughs> that was the band patch. You know, I, I played also as a part of the church worship team, played drums, always keeping involved in, in music, was part of the pit band and for all the major productions they put on for the theater club at our at our high school. So I mean, I was taking band geek to the <laughs> to the nth degree. And I knew that music was something that I wanted to do so much in fact that that's what I was telling everybody. You know, I was telling everybody when when you get out of school, what are you going to do? I wasn't this kid that was super excited about school. I didn't really get into the studious aspect. And so from a logical standpoint is my parents kept telling me, you need to go get a good job. You need to, you know, you need to go to school and get a good education and all that kind of stuff. I did that planning route to appease my parents, but always in the back of my head, it was like, listen, I want to do music in a big way. I want to perform on stages. And so that was really the goal. And when dance started to become a part of that picture was when I had, you know, I had been doing martial arts for a really long time. And then I knew that it was time to transition out of that, and but I needed something else to take up my time. And, and funny enough, 
somebody invited me to go to one of these dry nights at a club here in Superior, Wisconsin, and and said, hey, well, all of us are going out. You should come and hang out with us. And in the high school dances, I'd always go to the high school dances, and I would use some of my martial arts to kind of do tricks and and stuff. And I, I did have fun at the dances, but I never took dance class, didn't really watch any MTV or anything like that. We didn't have that. We couldn't afford that as a kid. So I didn't get to really even view dance or observe it in any way, shape or form. I just uh, would see kids do it at martial art tournaments and stuff like that. But then when I went to this club, I was 20 years old and I went to this club and these kids were doing the crip walk. They were doing the crip walk and some, you know, some gliding from, you know, the Usher music videos and stuff. And I was like, man, this is super dope. Like I want to learn this. And literally it was, it was that night at the club, the first night I went and I met these guys and started dancing and I started picking up some of the movements pretty quickly and dude, I was hooked and it, it was like, okay, now I had the music piece. Now I got this passion for dancing and it was like, boom, full force. We're going hundred percent all in. So Jesse, when we look at what you've done, you're a dancer, you had a singing career, you're a performer. So when you started dancing, did you immediately start singing or were you immediately an all around performer? What avenue did you take when you started doing this for money? I always knew that the two were going to come together. My passion for music and my passion for dance were going to come together. And I would always tell people, you know, I'm going to be one of those artists like, you know, Usher, Justin Timberlake that uses dance and my music combined for my career. And so I really doubled down on this dancing thing. And I think part of it was because the type of music that I did and the type of music that I was, that I really liked wasn't very popular where I grew up, where I grew up, it was very heavily influenced by rock, especially eighties rock and stuff like that. And, and a little bit of the grunge movement. So there wasn't a whole lot of people that was, that were trying to do any pop groups or, or anything like that. Right. But I could always go to clubs around and dance. So most of my focus from about 2001 to 2006 was all dance. And I always knew that I would bump the two together at some point, but my focus at the, at that time was really on dance. And so as I started getting better, I started to, I actually started earning money. Like I would get clubs that would call me and say, Hey, listen, we'll pay you a little bit of money to come to our club. Cause what would happen is that I started to become kind of known in my area for my dancing. And then eventually I actually got, um, I had a talent scout that just so happened to be at a club one time that I was performing in and told me about an audition that I needed to go to, it was at that point where I was like, okay, this is really serious. Like I have the talent for this. People are recognizing it that are actually in the industry. I really need to pay attention to this. And so I ended up finding myself at an audition down in Orlando, Florida called Fashion Rock that was put on by Lou Pearlman, the same guy that discovered InSync and put InSync together. And I went down there and, and, and got scouted by every major agency. And so in 2005, is when I moved out to California and that's when I said okay this this is where this is where all my attention is and this is how I'm going to how I'm going to make a living. Okay, so before we go too far into making a living as a professional performer, let's talk about that first audition. Lou Perlman is a big name and a name that obviously you recognize walking into this heavy duty audition. So what were your thoughts and how did you perform in that first audition? 
it's crazy because uh, most people don't know. I actually went to this audition twice. The audition was actually held at the World Marriott Center in Orlando, Florida. Now, I came from a family that was lower middle class. My dad worked for the city as park maintenance forestry, so he didn't have a huge income. I came come from a family of, of four siblings. I'm the oldest. My mom got into a car accident when I was about 10 years old that permanently disabled her, and she was a nurse at the time, so she couldn't work anymore. So it was basically my dad's income that that paid for everything. We didn't go without, but we didn't, we didn't really get to experience a lot of cool things just because the finances weren't there. So I, first of all, just to get to that audition, you had to pay a ton of money to go. It was the hardest I had ever worked to get somewhere ever. So I get down there and I'm just, I'm in awe. I've never been at a resort like this before. So I step in, you know, you got the big chandeliers, you got the huge, the huge lobby and a bellman ready to take your bags and all this kinds of thing. I'd never experienced that before. And so I was in awe. Plus all of that, I was super nervous because I learned to dance in clubs. I learned to dance on the street. Literally, I would practice for hours on the street, like the old school, like type of, you know, movie that you'd think of with your friends, they've got a trunk full of subs and, and they've spent more on their audio equipment than they spent on the entire car. And we would go below a bridge where I'm from, just absolutely blast the stereo and just work on moves for three, four hours. Sometimes I would go and dance at Walmart because they had a good, they had a good floor and I couldn't afford studio space. So I would go to Walmart when it wasn't busy and I would practice for hours from 10 p.m. till between one or between midnight and one o'clock. The managers knew I wasn't causing any problems. They knew what I was doing. So as long as I didn't get in front of or in, in interfere with any of the customers, they were okay with it. They kind of turned a blind eye. And so me walking into this World Marriott Center, I'm like just blown away. There's thousands of people because it wasn't just for dancers. It was for comedians and actors and singers and models. I mean, it was so many people. I was confident in what I knew I wanted. I knew that I wanted it bad. I knew I felt like I probably wanted it worse than anybody that was there when I didn't make it. And honestly, when I didn't make the cut, it was when I started to really realize that the the industry was not just about how you danced. It was about everything that came with it, the appearance, right? The package, the, the whole nine yards. I only got scouted. I think there was a, I think there was a hundred different agents down there. And I think I got scouted for maybe 10 of them. And I felt like I had lost because for the dancing category, they brought up the top 10 dancers. There was between a thousand to 1500 dancers at these auditions. I didn't get one of those top spots. And the thing that was crazy was that there was agents there. There was people that were watching me that expected me to get it. So again, I had enough validation to know, hey, I'm good enough. These agents are waiting for me to get up on that stage. And when I didn't get called, it crushed me. Then there was, they made this offer, like, if you wanted to come back, then they would bring you back. I went back in May. Again, this was an experience that I didn't really get too often to go and experience these five-star resorts, right? But I was so determined and I didn't want anything else other than to win, to get on that stage was my entire goal. I walked into that hotel and while everybody was partying, having a good time, you know, what they had you do is they would have you go and learn this piece in the morning. One of Michael Jackson's 
choreographers. He had done work for Michael Jackson, and that was the choreographer that was choreographing the piece you had to learn. And I didn't have a lot of choreography and, and studio experience. I was scared to death because you had basically, they brought you in in droves and you had 45 minutes to learn this choreography. And I was dying because I didn't know what to do. I was like, I couldn't remember, pick it up as fast, but man, I was determined. And so while everybody after, I remember going in there in the morning and learning this piece and I found this little corner of the hotel. I found a place where nobody was walking. The hotel was huge. So there was plenty of space to go find these little corners, right? And I found this little corner I set up a place where I could listen to music. They gave me the they gave me the CD of the music actually, and so I went and listened to the music with this little like boombox thing. I worked for like ten hours on the choreography all day while everybody was out having fun and partying because I wanted nothing more than to get one of those spots. Sure enough, when we went through and you go through and you go and audition, right? They don't say anything to you. They just, you just go in and audition. And so you're sitting there wondering the whole time, the whole next day, like, did I make it? And that night they did like the award ceremony and they call everybody up on stage. And sure enough, out of 1500 dancers, they called five males and five females. And I was one of the five males that they called. And I got scouted by almost every single dance model and talent agency that was at that audition. You get called up on stage, you get scouted. Now, what were your feelings in that moment? <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember thinking, I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> I know that sounds so cocky, but I'm thinking I had no training, really very little. There was very little training that I that I had in a studio. I kind of got cocky a little bit. Here I don't have very much training. I just took one of Michael Jackson choreographer's pieces and not only did I I learned it, but I I obviously was one of the best at doing it. Because they put me up on stage and I was like, this is what I'm meant to do. Like I was so confident that I had found my place because my entire life I had been doubting in and searching for my place, you know, being an outcast at school, again, band geek, that's not a popular thing where I'm from, always feeling like an outcast, always feeling like an underdog, always feeling undervalued, always feeling like I just never fit in. And for once I was standing on stage in front of thousands of people called out as one of the best. And I was like, this is what life is about. This is about finding your place and feeling like you're in the right spot. And it was I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. So what were the next steps after this? Because you won this competition, but that didn't mean you were guaranteed a deal with any type of label. So what were the next steps into becoming a professional performer? After I won top 10, you got this sheet and basically you go and visit with all these different agents. I had a vocal demo, two of my own that I put like a three song demo together. So I was stopping by all the different record labels. Of course, I'm super green. I don't know anything. I'm giving them my, giving them my CD, not realizing that 95% of the people that submit a CD to a record label never get even a listen. I, I'm just going around and visiting all the different dance agencies that was recruiting me. And I was looking for all the agents that basically were calling me to LA because that's really where I wanted to go. Now I had gotten scouted by Caribbean cruise line. I had gotten scouted by Walt Disney. One of my biggest mistakes, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have signed with Disney in a heartbeat. 
because I would have gotten the experience that I really needed to get and got paid for that experience. But instead I found one of the, you know, one of the major agencies, which was McDonald's Selznick Associates. I was recruited by KSA, MSA, Block. There was a bunch of them that I was recruited by. And so it was basically just me making a decision that that's what, who, who I would sign with. But when you sign with an agency, all that is, is representation. They don't give you any money to come out there. They don't give you anything. So I had to make a decision at that point. Like, am I really going to do this? Is this going to be something? Am I going to spend all this time, all this money? I went to this audition twice for what? They just told me that I could win, that I could, uh, or that I won, that I could go and, and move out to California, be one step closer to my dream. What should I do? I made a decision on my flight home. This is your opportunity, bro. You need to go. I gave myself 30 days. I said, listen, I'm going to go home. I'm going to give my, my notice to my job, gave my resignation to them and said, listen, I just got an opportunity to move out to California as a dancer. I'm, I've got to go 30 days, packed up my car and away I went with very little resources. I just knew that I was signing with McDonald's sales associates. That was it. Not a whole lot of planning, but I just, I had a whole lot of passion. So you're out thousands of dollars from going to auditions. You're on the move across the country from Superior, Wisconsin to L.A., going to live what you believed was going to be the dream. You now have representation. So what did they do once you got to L.A.? Did they provide you with auditions? Did they send your videos out? What did it look like once you were actually signed to one of these labels? I go out there and I met with my agent. I signed on the dotted line. And really what their job was was, you know, I had already had kind of like a, a promo package with a, a bio and a headshot. And what they do is they hear about all the different auditions that are available with commercials, music videos, anything that you can think of that require even a model or a dancer. They submit your headshots and then whoever they submitted the headshot to, they would say, yeah, we'll take that person as an audition. They basically told me that that's what they would do. They'd go to work for me. There's no money guaranteed. There's no nothing, but there was a way for me to be able to get to these auditions. And, and the advantage with that is that if, if you weren't represented by anybody, you'd have to figure out where those auditions were to get you in. And some of those auditions aren't open auditions. They were closed auditions, meaning whoever's running the, the audition, they're only allowing the people at the audition that they approve. So if you're not signed with an agency, you don't have any chance of getting to those. So you had more of a chance in theory to get into auditions and be able to be seen and, and get people to know you. Here's the thing. I did not understand networking at all. I thought that the only way to get into the industry was all about like just becoming the best dancer. I didn't do the best job of building relationships with people in the dance world once I got there. Now, MSA did introduce me to somebody that actually is very well known in the industry. My first dancer that I ever met was B-Boy Legacy, who was, who won So You Think You Can Dance. He introduced me to a bunch of people and, and helped me get plugged in pretty good. But once you got signed with the agency, it was all on your own. I mean, you had to go pay for classes. You had to go get a job somewhere. You had to do something to be able to provide yourself, find a place to live. So I just basically had to bootstrap it from there. They give you the inside scoop to these auditions, but 
you're talking about essentially having to do everything on your own. So were they mentoring you in any capacity? You know, that's the thing is that I didn't really understand mentorship, you know, until much later on in life. Again, there's so much, obviously hindsight's 2020, but there wasn't really much mentorship. No, there was just, Hey, we're going to send you to auditions and we're going to let you know when there's work available. But other than that, you're on your own to really make a name for yourself in the circles that you're running and at the dance studios that you're at. We all know that it's just as much who you know as what you know. What I failed to recognize is that there was auditions going on every single day that I had 100% access to. I was an intern at Millennium Dance Complex, and what that was was I would work in return for that internship. Then I had the ability to take unlimited dance classes at Millennium. And so I could go and take classes with Shane Sparks, with Dave Scott, Leslie Scott, with all these big name choreographers at the time, I failed to recognize that these are the choreographers that are doing all the tours. These are the choreographers that are booking all the big jobs and that these commercials and these music videos, they're the ones that are doing all the choreography for these major projects. If they know and see you working at their class, if you're going to their class and they feel you're supporting them, you're helping their class numbers look good and you're, you're putting in all the time and effort and they can see you dancing in their class. If you walk into their audition, I mean, half the time, these people would already know who they were going to pick for their projects before the auditions ever already happened because they know the people that have been taking their class and they're going to much rather work with somebody that they've seen and they see the work ethic and they, they have a relationship with than somebody that they don't know. Even if they get a chance to see you dance at their audition, they're going to hire the people that they know have supported them much quicker than they're going to hire somebody that just walked up from a dance agency somewhere. I failed to recognize that. And, and that was a big thing that, that I honestly missed out on when I was out there. So even in the performance world, know, like, and trust is a big piece of the puzzle. It still holds true. And what you're saying is that you would have liked to have capitalized more on that. Outside of my music career, I've had a lot of experience in sales. I've been a, a sales trainer. I've helped companies scale. I've helped people go from broke to earning six figures in sales in, in as little as six months. And what I know to be true is this. Everything is sales. And really, sales is influence. I'm a part of the John Maxwell team, and, and one of the things that I have learned by you know, being mentored by John Maxwell and, and the team is that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And really sales is influencing. What a sale is, is you're influencing the outcome of a conversation. Somebody decides whether they're going to buy or not. Well, what we don't realize so many times in life is that there is a sale going on every conversation you're having. You are selling somebody on your idea or somebody is selling you on their idea. And so when that is happening, obviously we buy from people that we like, know, and trust. So every time you're in a conversation, you're selling yourself. You're getting that person bought into you. You cannot underestimate the power of one conversation. You cannot underestimate the power of building relationships because what you are doing in essence is you're selling yourself. So before we get too far down that path. I definitely want to circle back to that for sure. But so you were signed by a label, going through an internship, going through these auditions. Tell us about your first big gig where you finally got discovered. Tell us what that looked like. The first time I got my 
first job was actually just going to an audition. It was my first taste of reality TV. And I, <laughs> and I'll tell you right now that sometimes they don't always make you out to be in the best light. I was super excited because there was this new TV show called My Own. And really what it was, was this, I, I laugh every time I talk about it, but it was this dating show, basically somebody, some girl or some guy has a crush on a celebrity and they can't necessarily go on a date with that celebrity. So they would like to find their own version of that celebrity. Well, I just so happened to get chosen for a version of my own when somebody wanted their own version of Justin Timberlake. There was this experience where I walked in and the candidates that they had chosen for this show, I was like, I couldn't even think of it. One guy couldn't sing and he couldn't dance, but he was had this bubbly personality from a from a looks wise, I suppose, sure, he kind of had his own swagger to himself, but it was still something that made you scratch your head. <laughs> and I I was kind of excited, but then when I found the really understood what the premise of the show was, I was like, okay, this is kind of cheesy. They had you do like different versions of like his music videos and stuff. I had to do a version of one of Justin's songs. And I can't, to be honest with you, I hate even saying this. I can't even remember what it was, but it was a song that was really hard and trying to sing and dance at the same time is pretty much impossible on some of those things. And I had to do that. And they, <laughs> they, they do their best to make you look like an idiot on TV. I, uh, yeah, it was a super embarrassing situation, but it gave me a great experience. For me, it was just at least validating that I had a chance to still get booked for gigs out there. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's not how you envisioned your first big break to look like. No, and I think that's, you know, again, another hindsight, right, is we're always looking for the big break. We hear these stories of people that book these tours and that get these big gigs. You know, one of the things that that I think about quite regularly was, you know, Legacy who, I mean, he's literally danced for everybody. One of the best b-boys in terms of commercializing, breaking and getting booked for all these crazy things. You know, I'd list him right up there with Cloud, who is one of uh, Madonna's dancers and has, has been very successful. While we were out in LA, Legacy was dancing for bar mitzvahs. He was getting paid 150, 200 bucks to go and dance at some really rich kid's birthday party. I had a tendency to like undermine that kind of work and say, hey, that's just that's just junk work. That's not recognizing me as a top talent and kind of felt like it was beneath me. But one of the things that I realize now after watching and I would talk to Legacy about it, he's like, dude, it's work. And I get a chance to hone my craft and get paid for it. I think we often undermine and undervalue being able to seize opportunities, whether they're big or small. And more often than not, I can tell you 99.9% .9 of the people that get discovered or seem to blow up overnight have their journey of doing small things, small gigs constantly and consistently so that they're ready for the big opportunity. So let's talk a little bit about your highlights. What are some of the big names you dance with and some of the great stuff you did on your own? One of the coolest things that I got to do when I was out in L.A. was commercial work with Justin Timberlake. When this whole Step Up series was getting ready to launch, um, I got called by my agency and they had me do a bunch of 
get this, MySpace commercials for Step Up. So I got to hang out with Channing Tatum, Mario, Sierra. And so that was really cool because here are some celebrities. And granted, that was just when their career started to really take off. Sierra had already, from in the music world, had already had some big hits, obviously, with One Two Step and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Mario, I actually had danced at a couple of competitions with his stuff and won some competitions dancing to his stuff. So it was really cool to be able to do some work with him. Those were really some of my highlight was being able to, you know, do some work with them. Also, I was a big You Got Served fan. And that was a movie that I like, I basically watched over and over and over and over again, studied the footage, mimicked the moves. There was a dance studio that was in town called Synthesis. That's where Omarion would work out a lot of times for his performances and stuff. When I was hanging out with Legacy, we'd get to go in and, and kind of crash the dance rehearsals. And so then I would get to get down with Omarion and stuff like that. And that, like that for me was some of the biggest highlights uh, of my career. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.